welcome to this podcast on the concept of leaders as mediators. And this topic is picked up in the recent book by Carl Mackey and Eileen Carroll, The Mediator's Tale, The Cedar Story of Better Conflicts, when they talk about this concept of the mediator's skills being used in leadership. I'm James South, CEDA's Chief Executive and a mediator, and it's my pleasure to welcome Julie Mangan from Capgemini to this podcast and this conversation. Julie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for welcoming me. Did you want to say something about your role and perhaps your experience as an ex-trained mediator back yes. in um, March 2020? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm relatively new to the, the CEDA world of mediation. I attended the course literally the week before lockdown occurred, so it was the most wonderful experience actually. Um, in terms of me, a little bit about me, um, I am the company secretary of Capgemini in the UK and Ireland. I have 24 companies uh, within my sphere of control. Capgemini, for those of you who don't know the business, is approximately 300,000 people around the world. We are uh, an, a provider of IT services, uh, very much in the cyber, cloud, um, massively driving digital innovation for our clients. So whilst I'm not actually an IT person, I, as well as looking after the company secretarial side of the business, I look after corporate risk, insurance, health and safety, some of the enabling functions within the business. And I'm busy integrating Altran, which was a recent acquisition for Capgemini. So um, yeah, I have been there quite a while and I've been mediating informally and really wanted to have some more structured formal training. And I'd also qualified as a neuro-linguistic programmer the year before. So I thought there were quite interesting uh, touch points on both. So the course was superb. So this theme of sort of the use of the mediator skill set, if you like, in leadership is something which has increasingly occurred to me as I've moved into leadership roles, particularly recently as as CEDA's CEO. Mm. Do you have any reflection on that in terms of what the course taught you about the use of those skills in leadership in Capgemini? Absolutely, James. It, the course had a very profound impact on me. It most certainly... It slowed me down, which has actually speeded me up in a very ironic way. With mediation, I realised that you don't want to be remembered as the mediator. You want the outcome to be remembered. Whereas in many leadership settings, it is about imposing your personality or style of leadership on an event or a meeting or a situation. So the mediator, whilst they are leading the mediation they're also in some ways taking a back seat because it's about helping everyone steer a path through what actually I found were sometimes very emotional situations some of the case studies that we did at first I thought mm, okay this is quite straightforward but the nuance and the complexity it took me way outside my comfort zone and I think with leadership often we are outside our comfort zone and it's about managing all that stakeholder, uh, all, all the stakeholders in that. And it's exactly the same with mediation. So it was just a very illuminating experience. I felt my world almost, I had a bit of a paradigm shift within 24 hours because I actually found aspects of the course quite hard. 
I wasn't quite prepared for homework. I wasn't quite prepared for the, the mental challenge because having done my role for quite a while, I wouldn't say there's much that phases me, but with mediation, you've got to be absolutely on it every second and you've got to listen and active listening. I thought I was good at it, but I didn't realise I needed to improve it. And you mentioned earlier on that you wanted the frameworks to give some life or some structure to things that perhaps you were doing already. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that mediation does, doesn't it? It gives you the frameworks perhaps to apply um, in your work as, as leaders in organisations. 100% yes. And with the, you know, I got my, my lovely pack in the post and I sat and read it and I read my, my handbook and I thought this really is about the relationship, the process, the content. And I loved that structure. And also, the thing about the course that really made me very happy was Cedar's investment in it. It wasn't just one person. There were so many mediators who came and challenged our views. And so we were getting exposure to the entire framework. And since then, having observed a mediation through, I always kept my eye on the Cedar portal, That for me was fantastic as well. And just observing a real life mediation, it almost made me think I have to be less entrenched in my views. And as a leader as well, I think we're we're asked for our views all the time, but mediation is different. And also it gives you, I guess you, you touched on it earlier, almost making you consciously competent all the time, thinking about what you're doing and how you're doing it. I think sometimes it, it, when you're in an organisation, if you've been there for some time, you sometimes can want to shoot from the hip thinking you you know, you know, know what you're doing and, and how it is to be done. But I think I agree. being a mediator makes you, take a, make, oh. makes you more reflective, take a, make, take a step back and have a look at it from a, a broader perspective, I think. Yeah, and I think it made me realise, as I said earlier, I wanted to be remembered for the outcome of the mediation. I didn't want to be memorable in, 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 in right. the mediations that I've done. When I'm at work, the mediations I've done, I've done them almost without realising that I was using some of the skills that I'd learned through the course. So I've been involved in grievances, disciplinaries, dismissals, commercial settlements, property settlements. And we've used sometimes external mediators, some of whom have been very good, some less so, but it's really made me reflect on what we want when we mediate as a company. And also, I think it's important to have good leaders supporting the mediator because their job is challenging and it's fast. And I also, I always remember, I think it's Maya Angelou who said, you know, people forget what you said, they forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. And for me, that was what mediation was about. Yeah, absolutely. In the whole context of emotions, perhaps we can pick up um, shortly. Maybe if we move then to think, uh, to look at your work as a leader in organisations, mm. and maybe we can uh, reflect on how you have used the mediator skill set in, in Capgemini. I guess what one of the things that occurred to me maybe to frame this, com- this part of the conversation is core competencies of being a mediator, I think, are applicable when you are leading an organization. So, you know, the whole idea of managing relationships under pressure uh, when there's difficulty, and we've seen, I think, a lot of that, haven't we, over the last two years with the pandemic and now emerging out of it, creating these difficult Mm. relationships Mm. which need to be resolved. I mean, the whole idea of problem solving and decision making uh, and how that's done effectively, uh, whatever level that may be at the board executive level or in teams, 
And I guess the other thing, which I think the mediators are good at, which you can bring into uh, our work as leaders, is designing a journey from a problem to resolution, that kind of process management piece. Do you have any sort of general reflections before we delve into each of those in detail? I do, James, yes. In terms of my role at Capgemini, I'm a member of the country board and we haven't met in 18 months. So I've been running the board remotely and the conflicts, the issues, the challenges don't go away just because everyone's worrying about a pandemic. We've always worked remotely and obviously moving to a, a hybrid way of working at the moment. So we've always been used to not being in each other's presence, but it still absolutely requires you to really tune in, whether it's on a phone call, whether it's on Zoom or Teams, and just really understand what's going on with the people. I think in some ways, working remotely has made us more intimate. And I don't mean intimate in the sense of personal intimacy. I just mean understanding the nuance of business, what drives decisions, and decision-making has always been of particular interest to me. I think the pandemic has taught us that maybe we have to be kinder to each other. And I think in mediations, the ones I've observed, that's come tr- come through. You know, people do have very entrenched views and they get highly emotional. But at the end of the day, we do need to be kind to each other without sounding contrite. I think that's quite important. Yeah, and you so let's look at man- maybe the managing the relationships piece within the context of organisations. I mean, you mentioned emotions, and I think one mm. of the things I've picked up is people have... I mean, well-being has been a big topic during the pandemic because people have been with increased anxiety. You know, there have been people under pressure and that has an impact on on the relationships. And and I have sensed at CEDA sort of senior staff taking more care of their employees and realising that if you look after the people, then some of the problems are easier to resolve, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. And at first people were saying, oh, you know, what are we all going to do? Start exchanging recipes for banana bread. But, you know, it was so much more than that. Right. So we have what we call Capgemini at home. And so three quarters of the company are, ac- I mean, everyone can access it, but it's where you can share views, you can seek information. There's so many thousands of things that we've been exchanging views about. And the other thing I've done is since day one of the lockdown, I have a weekly, a weekly, a daily virtual cuppa with my team. So every day at 9.30, we catch up and there's two rules. You don't have to turn up if you don't want to. And if you, but if you do, we do not talk about work. And I tell you, I've learned more about what drives my team, what motivates them. And one of our values is fun. Sometimes we are crying with laughter on these calls. Other times though, we're actually talking about very serious things such as COVID and how it's making people feel, because that fear is, for me, still very real. Yes, he's done something similar where we brought people together virtually and now actually in person since mm. we've been emerging from the pandemic. And the rule was we're not talking about work. It's not about your functional roles. We're no, not going to discuss not that. At all. It's the ability to come together and focusing on that has a real benefit in terms of cohesiveness of an organisation. Completely. Uh, and people's sense of being part of an organisation. Yeah, and one of my, one of my mantras in life is don't ever make assumptions and I think COVID has really reinforced that for me don't make assumptions about how people are feeling what they're thinking and actually in a mediation that came through very much for me on some of the case studies on the course I think I mean is it Luminata Lumitalia Lumitalia 
bricks and mortar. I mean, they will ever be ingrained <laughs> in my mind. And I thought I knew it. I thought I'd have the answer. And I thought, maybe I'm sometimes impatient. I always think, what's the outcome? And then work backwards. Yeah. But on mediation, you can't. You have to let the process take its journey. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the same applies in an organisation, right? Particularly when we've been under or under pressure and in a in a crisis situation. Actually, rather than starting with the answer as a senior person in leadership, maybe thinking about well, let's understand what the issues are, particularly from people, particularly because you've got this yes. overlay of anxiety yes. and lockdown and things like that. Yeah. And starting there and then moving to looking at answer for answers is a, it has been really effective yeah. in, my, in my experience. Also, I guess at our level. I take for granted that I am a subject matter expert, as you do. So when I'm in situations, I'm approaching problems and with a very high level of confidence I can fix it. But with mediation, again, you have to be much, almost less pacey. You have to let the process come to its natural conclusion and work with the parties. And also, I don't think I... I work with that many people who are highly, highly emotional. Whereas in mediation, because there's often so much at stake for people, it's about not mirroring that level of emotion. But that idea of bringing people along with you, which you'd have to do in mediation Mm. to get agreement, I think in increasing organisations you need to it as well. I mean, the idea, the days of sort of imposing your your solution on high. I mean, it can work. Sort of that, you know, command and control yes. approach is is has moved on, and and the and the idea of collaboration and getting people bought into ideas, particularly if they're big ideas around transformation or organisational change, is pretty key. It to, is in an organisational context. It is, and I think the speed of decision making now, you know, is probably unprecedented, and I don't think we have the luxury of time. I mean, what I often say to my own team is, I'd rather you made. 10 decisions of which eight were correct and I'll help you with the two that aren't correct I just don't want people who are going to be paralyzed by decision making we're also you know as a company secretary I'm not doing open heart surgery I have to keep it proportionate and in context so proportionality is very key as well yeah so you mentioned problem solving and decision making and clearly that's a a key part of Mm. the mediator skill set I mean anything that any reflections on what you learned from the course or you've used from the course in into problem solving and decision making within oh, the yes. organization. <laughs> <laughs> I learned definitely I said it earlier, never to make assumptions. Don't prejudge anything that happens around a mediation table. And that was very interesting for me. I also learned that it's not about me, it's not about the mediator and needing to, you know, stand back and really let the the parties have their time and express their view. Some of the feedback I got from throughout the mediation course was not to try and rush it and not to try and impose my view on the mediation. Maybe it's my natural, maybe bossiness. I thought, yeah, that's that's the preferred outcome. We'll get there. No, and so I'm sure you're not bossy, Julia. A little bit. <laughs> yes, I am. It certainly made me respect the process and the outcome. And finally, it was about using the CEDA framework to absolutely lift the lid. Because for me, mediation is almost about industrialising the uncertainty of a situation and using that framework. So the idea of testing people's perceptions, viewpoints, to try to make sure sure they understood the full implications of potential decisions 
and often that can help hone mm. and, and, and result in a better decision, mm. right, or an outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that, that I noticed, and it's particularly recently, I mean, CEDA likes to think of itself, pride itself on being a values-led organization with a social purpose. Um, and of course, recently we had a situation where staff raised a concern whether a particular contract and um, that we were working on was consistent with our values. Now, mm. something that we really encourage, dialogue, being an organization about dialogue. But what I realized there was what was important was that people had quite different views on this topic. And so walking the balance between allowing people to express their views, which we did, and people were almost diametrically opposed. And I guess this mirrors what's happening in society, right? Mm -hmm. That people will have strong views, but we need to get to a point socially, I think, but also within CEDAW where in organizations where people can express their views, but realize that they do have differences. Yes. Uh, and then at some point, the organization, having heard those ideas, will need to make a decision. And, you, and, and it won't be in accordance with everybody because it's just not possible. But allowing that expression of ideas uh, to come out, but then the, that decision being made based on hearing all those viewpoints, I think is, is pretty key as we emerge from lockdowns into this yeah. new hybrid world. And that's a big responsibility, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And it's not all about... It's not about the majority voice, I mean, it's about having a voice, but it's just making sure that you respect the process, isn't it? And then respect the outcome that comes from it. But also acknowledging that people may not follow it and may not agree with it. Yeah. But then, and disagreement is okay. Yes. Does, it doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have to agree and you're not always going to reach consensus mm. uh, and that it's okay to disagree. I agree. And I think if I look at some leaders who perhaps really want to be popular and favoured within an organisation... They're the ones who, I don't know, they fall by the wayside a little. Because I don't think you can play the popularity vote. And even in my own role, I mean, I, I, I often say, maybe a little bit harshly, I don't have to like my colleagues, I have to just respect them. Right. And I do. I'm not their friend or family. I'm just respecting working for the greater good of the business and the stakeholders yeah. and the shareholders. Yeah. No, I, I think I agree. I mean, I, I, have, I have a duty as the chief executive to make decisions. That's part of my job. Yeah. But I think I have a duty to make that, having heard from the widest, you know, widest perspective of viewpoints that I possibly can, so I can take all of those into account. And then, when I, where I need to make the decision, if there's consensus, great. But that's not the end game. Did um, you reach the outcome that you wanted or you uh, preferred? It was a decision that yes, we were right to do this contract. But then what was important, I think, was again communication going back to the staff and explaining why we reached the decision yes. that we had, having heard the different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And by and large, you know, staff accepted that, even though perhaps they didn't agree with the mm-hmm. ultimate decision. But again, and this maybe leads us on to the next one, which is about process, right? To do that, in that example, we had to set up a process of hearing people's voices, working through it, then convening a, a separate session where what were the principles for decision-making in this area, and then having a discussion about the decision itself, and then at the end, communicating it. We couldn't do it quickly. If we had done it quickly, the staff wouldn't have felt properly heard. So I wonder if you have any reflections on that, about that managing the journey from whatever the issue is to actually getting a decision, which is, or an agreement, which is part of the mediator skill set, really. Yeah, and I think in terms of my own decision-making, whilst I want data... I want facts. I, t- I do tend to trust my judgment, my gut feeling. For me, it's how you deliver that message and 
communication, as you say, James, is so key. So much so that about five or six years ago, I, I actually did a review of some of my own communications at work, and I found they were a little bit lengthy and maybe the message wasn't coming through. So what I did was I volunteered to run a communications team as well as doing my day job. And I ended up running the communications team for a 400 strong global real estate team and trying to communicate messages and decisions across the world where people didn't understand even the core issue at times. Goodness me, it's honed yeah. my communication skills. And I only reluctantly gave that up last year. But for me, that and having a comms buddy, as I call it, where somebody is actually reviewing some of your key messages um, is vital. That's interesting. You should pick up communication because one of the things I've realised is you, your communications internally actually play quite a crucial part about people understanding you know, what's going on um, and then buying into what you know what you're trying to do Absolutely. and actually getting the message right. Mm. And this comes back to the point we talked about right at the top, I guess, being really conscious that this message is going to have an impact and then thinking carefully about the message that you are sending to make sure it has the right impact because there are a lot of unintended consequences in communication and you have to think through those and Mm. then be really clear almost laser like Mm. in what is the message and how am I going to frame it and and again framing of language is a skill set I've learned as a mediator which I apply all the time absolutely in a very conscious way and I'm often sending messages out as you are to you know sometimes hundreds or thousands of people and the measure for me of whether I've been clear and articulate is I don't want any responses back right if I get people saying oh can you explain it or can you clarify well to me then I failed if I have complete silence that is perfect for me and I also am a great fan of reverse mentoring. Yeah. So I was lucky enough a few years ago, quite a funny story this, I was going through Heathrow to India and this woman at Heathrow said, my daughter's just joined your company. She saw my sticker on my laptop and said, would you connect with her, which I did. And I was her mentor for about six months and then we swapped and she was my mentor for about five years. Yeah. And... Uh, I used her very much to test some of the messages and and actually even sometimes she would call me out on some of my leadership style or and I've learned more from her in five years than any boss I've ever had. And I think I've used that on when I'm mediating because I often think, what would she do? What would she right. say? And I think we all need role models and she's mine and yeah. she's twenty-two. And that idea of it doesn't necessarily be, need to be your peer group. No. That gives you the feedback. We're, we're doing a similar process uh, at the leadership team at CEDA where we've thought okay. about the importance of diversity of voice. Mm. Again, in mediation, trying to get everybody's voice, yeah. voice heard. And I guess sometimes as a group, you can be a homogenous leadership team, team who have the same specialisms, mm. come from the same backgrounds. And we felt that we needed to have a, a more diverse voice that maybe yes. challenges us more often. Yes. So we have instituted ways of bringing people in from outside the leadership team who will come to our meetings Sounds to brilliant. really give us that voice. That's their active role. Yeah. And also to give us feedback. Are we living our values and our charter mm-hmm. as a group? So again, I think it's a similar type of thing, right? Very, Finding yeah. ways to get that external voice in uh, to help decision-making, help problem-solving. Yeah. Um, you know, more, when you think where we are in the pandemic, having worked so virtually and remotely in many ways it's it's forced us to make decisions and lead 
because we haven't had that team around you, right. you might bounce bounce things off. Absolutely. So yeah. sometimes it's hard to be a leader, but I think it's probably even more difficult to be a mediator. Well, but uh, <laughs> I think bo- that both from my both yes. feed each other. I mean, I yes. think my mediation experience feeds my and helps my leadership role, mm. and my leadership role really helps um, yeah. nourish and, and extend my, my mediation mm. practice. We've talked a little bit about the pandemic and where we're emerging from it now, and just going mm. back to process management. One of the things, and see, just moved into our new office where we're recording this. Yes. We're operating in a hybrid environment where people work from home, but mm. they come into the office. And we've been working, continue to work, about how that is going to work in practice. Mm. What's the impact on that as, uh, as an organization and our culture? And that's a whole process in and of itself, and one that we're having to carefully, carefully manage and think about how we begin this process, how we uh, implement it, how we review it, how we refine it. And it's quite a process management task in and of itself, which sort of takes, it's taken my time and others. I mean, do you have similar experience in terms of that sort of process management of change, yes. particularly sort of as we emerge from the, uh, from the last two years? Firstly, Thank you for welcoming me to your office because it really is a beautiful workspace and even from the reception it's very reflective of your brand and your values so it's been a really nice experience to be here. Obviously we're talking about emerging from the pandemic, I don't know if we are, I think we are still in it and but we are certainly moving towards needing to have more hybrid working. At Capgemini it's all about our clients because our clients need us to be delivering, often 24-7, at their sites or remotely. I think it's brought into play. I mean, trust is one of our values, and it's incredible how that value has come to the fore with everyone trusting each other and also managing our productivity and making sure that we are as productive as as we were uh, pre-pandemic. We are moving towards a model where we are all working in a hybrid fashion. But actually, in many ways, it's just cementing what we already had. We've never been about presenteeism. We've never been about needing to be proximate. I think the one thing we do need to be careful about now is proximity bias, where as some of us return to the office and others don't, that we almost favour the people who we are seeing and we don't forget the people not within right. our, our line of sight. Yeah. And I think proximity bias is going to be important whether it's about from an inclusion agenda and even down to promotions allocation of work allocation of you know different roles yeah. it's really important for me i couldn't agree more and i think it's just bias in terms of people being in the office but also i worry about those that for good reasons decide to stay and work more remotely and they don't have the ability to learn from their peers and from others around them. Uh, and that whole idea of professional development, but perhaps that you and I yeah. have benefited from over uh, over the years. Yeah. So I think the hybrid environment is going to throw up a lot of these types of challenges. I think so right? too. And how you agree, almost how you recreate that water cooler moment right. remotely at Capgemini. We don't manufacture or make anything. The only asset we have walks into the building in the morning or logs on in the morning and then leaves or logs off in the evening so that collaboration and that contact is so vital so i have been going into the offices which are fantastic almost with a, a childlike excitement actually because it is so good to connect with people in some ways you realize that two years whilst it feels a long time it's nearly two years people don't really change 
So you just pick off where you pick up where you left off. But yeah, it's been really good to go back. But I think companies that have an expectation to go back full time, I, I just think we're moving into a different way yeah. of working. No, I think you're right. That idea of trust, you know, key, trust. a key role of the mediator and yes. flexibility. You yes. know, things aren't going to be the way they were, yeah. and we have to operate and give our give our staff uh, flexibility, and that will really have benefits, I mm. think. And we just need to make sure that we, you know, we we think about our staff's development and well and well-being yeah. and, and all, all the values. I think that you know, in my role, I hope I embrace things like boldness, integrity, honesty. They're also vital to emerging from the pandemic, but also so critical in a mediation. Right, yeah. So there's so many overlaps, and it's, that's what's so fascinating for me, how many lessons I've learned through the formal mediation course that I was either deploying without realising it, or wasn't deploying, but I now am. Yeah, and the point that you're making, that Capgemini is a people business, senior yeah. is a people's business, and one of our values is humanity, and always you know, mm. treating people the way you want to be treated, yes. and letting your humanity and your, you know, your own personal style shine through, I think yeah. is, is an important thing to remember. As someone said to me this morning, James, wow, you've got elbows, I haven't seen you, <laughs> other than your head and neck for the last 18 months. I think you just said I'm taller than you thought I would be <laughs> yes, now, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, it's so strange, isn't yeah, it? It is. Well, great, Julie. Thank you very much for it's for this conversation. Um, it's been a, a be, has been a pleasure. Maybe just to finish off, maybe any final reflections about you know mediation and the use of it as a as a leader in an organisation. My reflections are: it's a wonderful thing to have done by way of formal training. I am very thankful for Cedar because. The lessons I've learned, which I've embraced, they will stay with me for life, actually. And I know that might sound a bit dramatic, but it's so true. Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we are pleased that the course was useful and you've applied it in your mm. work. And thank you very much for coming in to speak to us. My and pleasure. We hope that you'll stay in, in, in touch and we can hear more stories about your work and how you've used the mediator skill set. Thank you so much, James. Julie, thanks a lot. <laughs>